0: book 1 chapter 8 of the bostonians this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by bruce peerie the bostonians by henry james chapter 8 verena tarrant got up and went to her father in the middle of the room Olive Chancellor crossed and resumed her place beside Mrs. Farrender on the sofa the girl had quitted, and Miss Birdseye's visitors, for the rest, settled themselves attentively in chairs or leaned against the bare sides of the parlour. Verena took her father's hands, held them for a moment, while she stood before him, not looking at him, with her eyes towards the company. Then, after an instant, her mother, rising, pushed forward, with an interesting sigh, the chair on which she had been sitting. Mrs. Tarrant was provided with another seat, and Verina, relinquishing her father's grasp, placed herself in the chair which Tarrant put in position for her. She sat there with closed eyes, and her father now rested his long, lean hands upon her head. Basil Ransom watched these proceedings with much interest, for the girl amused and pleased him. She had far more color than any there, for whatever brightness was to be found in Miss Bird's eye's rather faded and dingy human collection had gathered itself into this attractive but ambiguous young person. There was nothing ambiguous, by the way, about her confederate. Ransom simply loathed him from the moment he opened his mouth he was intensely familiar that is his type was he was simply the detested carpet-bagger he was false cunning vulgar ignoble the cheapest kind of human product that he should be the father of a delicate pretty girl who was apparently clever too whether she had a gift or no this was an annoying disconcerting fact the white puffy mother with the high forehead in the corner there looked more like a lady But if she were one it was all the more shame to her to have mated with such a varlet, Ransom said to himself, making use, as he did generally, of terms of opprobrium extracted from the older English literature. He had seen Tarrant or his equivalent often before. He had whipped him, as he believed, controversially again and again at political meetings in blighted southern towns during the horrible period of reconstruction. If Mrs. Farrender had looked at Verena Tarrant as if she were a mountebank, there was some excuse for it, inasmuch as the girl made much the same impression on Basil Ransom. He had never seen such an odd mixture of elements. She had the sweetest, most unworldly face, and yet with it an air of being on exhibition, of belonging to a troupe, of living in the gaslight, which pervaded even the details of her dress fashioned evidently with an attempt at the histrionic if she had produced a pair of castanets or a tambourine he felt that such accessories would have been quite in keeping little dr prance with her hard good sense had noted that she was anemic and had intimated that she was a deceiver the value of her performance was yet to be proved but she was certainly very pale white as women are who have that shade of red hair They look as if their blood had gone into it. There was, however, something rich in the fairness of this young lady. She was strong and supple, there was color in her lips and eyes, and her tresses gathered into a complicated coil seemed to glow with the brightness of her nature. She had curious, radiant, liquid eyes. Their smile was a sort of reflection, like the glisten of a gem. And though she was not tall, she appeared to spring up. And carried her head as if it reached rather high. Ransom would have thought she looked like an Oriental if it were not that Orientals are dark, and if she had only had a goat she would have resembled Esmeralda, though he had but a vague recollection of who Esmeralda had been. She wore a light-brown dress of a shape that struck him as fantastic, a yellow petticoat and a large crimson sash fastened at the side, While round her neck and falling low upon her flat, young chest, she had a double chain of amber beads. It must be added that, in spite of her melodramatic appearance, there was no symptom that her performance, whatever it was, would be of a melodramatic character. She was very quiet, now at least. She had folded her big fan, and her father continued the mysterious process of calming her down. Ransom wondered whether he wouldn't put her to sleep. For some minutes her eyes had remained closed. He heard a lady near him, apparently familiar with phenomena of this class, remark that she was going off. As yet the exhibition was not exciting, though it was certainly pleasant to have such a pretty girl placed there before one, like a moving statue. Dr. Tarrant looked at no one as he stroked and soothed his daughter. His eyes wandered round the cornice of the room, and he grinned upward, as if at an imaginary gallery quietly quietly he murmured from time to time it will come my good child it will come just let it work just let it gather the spirit you know you've got to let the spirit come out when it will he threw up his arms at moments to rid himself of the wings of his long waterproof which fell forward over his hands basil ransom noticed all these things and noticed also opposite the waiting face of his cousin fixed from her sofa upon the closed eyes of the young prophetess he grew more impatient at last not of the delay of the edifying voice though some time had elapsed but of Terence's grotesque manipulations which he resented as much as if he himself had felt their touch and which seemed a dishonour to the passive maiden they made him nervous they made him angry and it was only afterwards that he asked himself wherein they concerned him and whether even the carpet-bagger hadn't a right to do what he pleased with his daughter it was a relief to him when verena got up from her chair with a movement which made tarrant drop into the background as if his part were now over she stood there with a quiet face serious and sightless Then, after a short further delay, she began to speak. She began incoherently, almost inaudibly, as if she were talking in a dream. Ransom could not understand her. He thought it very queer and wondered what Dr. Prance would have said. She's just arranging her ideas and trying to get in report. She'll come out all right. This remark he heard dropped in a low tone by the mesmeric healer. In report— was apparently Tarrant's version of En Rapport. His prophecy was verified, and Verena did come out after a little. She came out with a great deal of sweetness, with a very quaint and peculiar effect. She proceeded slowly, cautiously, as if she were listening for the prompter, catching, one by one, certain phrases that were whispered to her a great distance off, behind the scenes of the world. Then memory, or inspiration, returned to her, and presently she was in possession of her part. She played it with extraordinary simplicity and grace. At the end of ten minutes Ransom became aware that the whole audience—Mrs. Farrender, Miss Chancellor, and the tough subject from Mississippi—were under the charm. I speak of ten minutes, but to tell the truth the young man lost all sense of time. He wondered afterwards how long she had spoken. Then he counted that her strange, sweet, crude, absurd, enchanting improvisation must have lasted half an hour. It was not what she said—he didn't care for that, he scarcely understood it. He could only see that it was all about the gentleness and goodness of women, and how during the long ages of history they had been trampled under the iron heel of man, it was about their equality, perhaps even, he was not definitely conscious, about their superiority. It was about their day having come at last, about the universal sisterhood, about their duty to themselves and to each other. It was about such matters as these, and Basil Ransom was delighted to observe that such matters as these didn't spoil it. The effect was not in what she said, though she said some such pretty things, but in the picture and figure of the half bedizened damsel playing now again with her red fan the visible freshness and purity of the little effort when she had gained confidence she opened her eyes and their shining softness was half the effect of her discourse it was full of school-girl phrases of patches of remembered eloquence of childish lapses of logic flights of fancy which might indeed have had success at topeka but ransom thought that if it had been much worse it would have been quite as good for the argument the doctrine had absolutely nothing to do with it it was simply an intensely personal exhibition and the person making it happened to be fascinating she might have offended the taste of certain people ransom could imagine that there were other boston circles in which she would be thought pert but for himself all he could feel was that to his starved senses she irresistibly appealed. He was the stiffest of conservatives, and his mind was steeled against the inanities she uttered, the rights and wrongs of women, the equality of the sexes, the hysterics of conventions, the further stultification of the suffrage, the prospect of conscript mothers in the National Senate. It made no difference. She didn't mean it she didn't know what she meant she had been stuffed with this trash by her father and she was neither more nor less willing to say it than to say anything else for the necessity of her nature was not to make converts to a ridiculous cause but to emit those charming notes of her voice to stand in those free young attitudes to shake her braided locks like a naiad rising from the waves to please every one who came near her, and to be happy that she pleased. I know not whether Ransom was aware of the bearings of this interpretation, which attributed to Miss Tarrant a singular hollowness of character. He contented himself with believing that she was as innocent as she was lovely, and with regarding her as a vocalist of exquisite faculty, condemned to sing bad music how prettily indeed she made some of it sound. Of course I only speak to women, to my own dear sisters. I don't speak to men, for I don't expect them to like what I say. They pretend to admire us very much, but I should like them to admire us a little less, and to trust us a little more. I don't know what we have ever done to them that they should keep us out of everything. We have trusted them too much and i think the time has come now for us to judge them and say that by keeping us out we don't think they have done so well when i look around me at the world and at the state that men have brought it to i confess i say to myself well if women had fixed it this way i should like to know what they would think of it when i see the dreadful misery of mankind and think of the suffering of which at any hour at any moment the world is full i say that if this is the best they can do by themselves they had better let us come in a little and see what we can do we couldn't possibly make it worse could we if we had done only this we shouldn't boast of it poverty and ignorance and crime disease and wickedness and wars wars always more wars and always more and more blood blood the world is drenched with blood to kill each other with all sorts of expensive and perfected instruments—that is the most brilliant thing they have been able to invent. It seems to me that we might stop it, we might invent something better. The cruelty, the cruelty—there is so much, so much. Why shouldn't tenderness come in? Why should our women's hearts be so full of it, and all so wasted and withered? while armies and prisons and helpless miseries grow greater all the while. I am only a girl, a simple American girl, and of course I haven't seen much, and there is a great deal of life that I don't know anything about. But there are some things I feel. It seems to me as if I had been born to feel them. They are in my ears in the stillness of the night and before my face in the visions of the darkness. It is what the great sisterhood of women might do if they should all join hands and lift up their voices above the brutal uproar of the world, in which it is so hard for the plea of mercy or of justice, the moan of weakness and suffering, to be heard. We should quench it, we should make it still, and the sound of our lips would become the voice of universal peace. For this we must trust one another. We must be true and gentle and kind. We must remember that the world is ours too, ours, little as we have ever had to say about anything, and that the question is not yet definitely settled whether it shall be a place of injustice or a place of love. It was with this that the young lady finished her harangue, which was not followed by her sinking exhausted into her chair or by any of the traces of a labored climax. She only turned away slowly towards her mother, smiling over her shoulder at the whole room, as if it had been a single person, without a flush in her whiteness or the need of drawing a longer breath. The performance had evidently been very easy to her, and there might have been a kind of impertinence in her air of not having suffered from an exertion which had wrought so powerfully on every one else. Ransom broke into a genial laugh, which he instantly swallowed again, at the sweet grotesqueness of this virginal creature's standing up before a company of middle-aged people to talk to them about love, the note on which she had closed her harangue. It was the most charming touch in the whole thing— and the most vivid proof of her innocence she had had immense success and mrs tarrant as she took her into her arms and kissed her was certainly able to feel that the audience was not disappointed they were exceedingly affected they broke into exclamations and murmurs seela tarrant went on conversing ostentatiously with his neighbours slowly twirling his long thumbs and looking up at the cornice again as if there could be nothing in the brilliant manner in which his daughter had acquitted herself to surprise him who had heard her when she was still more remarkable and who moreover remembered that the affair was so impersonal miss Eye looked round at the company with dim exultation Her large, mild cheeks were shining with unwiped tears. Young Mr. Pardon remarked, in Ransom's hearing, that he knew parties who, if they had been present, would want to engage Miss Farina at a high figure for the winter campaign, and Ransom heard him add, in a lower tone, There's money for someone in that girl. You see if she don't have quite a run. As for our Mississippian, he kept his agreeable sensation for himself, only wondering whether he might not ask Miss Birdseye to present him to the heroine of the evening. Not immediately, of course, for the young man mingled with his southern pride a shyness which often served all the purpose of humility. He was aware how much he was an outsider in such a house as that, and he was ready to wait for his coveted satisfaction till the others, who all hung together, should have given her the assurance of an approval which she would value naturally more than anything he could say to her this episode had imparted animation to the assembly a certain gaiety even expressed in a higher pitch of conversation seemed to float in the heated air people circulated more freely and verena tarrant was presently hidden from ransom's sight by the close-pressed ranks of the new friends she had made well i never heard it put that way ransom heard one of the ladies exclaim to which another replied that she wondered one of their bright women hadn't thought of it before well it is a gift and no mistake and well they may call it what they please it's a pleasure to listen to it these genial tributes fell from the lips of a pair of ruminating gentlemen it was affirmed within ransom's hearing that if they had a few more like that the matter would soon be fixed and it was rejoined that they couldn't expect to have a great many, the style was so peculiar. It was generally admitted that the style was peculiar, but Miss Tarrant's peculiarity was the explanation of her success. End of Book One, Chapter Eight